Hi, and welcome to the Passionistas Project podcast, where we talk with women who are following their passions to inspire you to do the same. We're Amy and Nancy Harrington, and today we're talking with Kelly Mosser, an aligned success coach and consultant based in New York City, who supports big-hearted entrepreneurs in optimizing their businesses and doing their inner work so they can explode their impact and income while staying in radical energetic alignment. Kelly is the host of the Top 10 podcast, The Aligned Success Show. So please welcome to the show, Kelly Mosser. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here. You two are just both so inspiring, and I'm just already lit up talking to you. So thank you. Kelly, what's the one thing that you're most passionate about? I am the most passionate about helping people do the inner work. Like you mentioned in my bio just now, that I think is the key to so many things. And I think it's something that we aren't taught growing up. And I think a lot of us kind of realize it a little bit later on in life. And if we had known (laughs) 10 years, 20 years earlier, not to say things would turn out differently, but maybe we would have had a few fewer hiccups along the way. Maybe we would have had the opportunity to make decisions that were more in alignment with who we truly are and who we truly want to be. I think there's just so much pressure from the outside and from our parents and our friends and the people we went to high school with and society, TV, magazines, whatever, Instagram now, it's wild. And I think that there's a real loss of intimacy with self. And that's really what I'm so passionate about doing because I think that really is the foundational building block that everything else gets built on top of. And so that's what I'm the most passionate about in the whole world. So speaking of parents and friends and high school and all that stuff, what was your childhood like and were you already building these kind of blocks when you were growing up? That's a really great question. My childhood was very unique. My father tragically was murdered, sorry for a trigger warning, was murdered when I was 16 months old in my family home with my whole family home. And that obviously is a really formative experience to have as a young kid. So I actually grew up with a lot of grief around. I grew up with people who were obviously very, you know, very sad, very angry, still very loving. And I'm so in awe by every single member of my family, but there was a lot of grief around and there was a lot of fear because if this can happen in our home, what's going to happen outside? So I was a very fearful child and I actually didn't know, but I grew up basically from 16 months old when that event happened until I was about 21, I had PTSD and I did not know it. So I was operating with a very dysregulated nervous system, but I adapted to it because it was, it was kind of like, does a fish even realize they're swimming in water? It's just, it's all, you know, kind of thing. I didn't realize there was a more optimal way for me to be living. I didn't realize that other people weren't terrified of everything. I didn't realize that other people weren't anxious (laughs) 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So that was obviously a huge event in my life that required years and years of healing from, and it still is really fresh and raw sometimes. But that I would say was the catalyst for understanding how my brain works. Because when I got diagnosed with PTSD, I obviously didn't want to live in a state of overstimulated, overtaxed nervous system forever. So I said, I have to figure out how to heal. And I didn't choose what happened to my family, but what happens next is up to me. So that's kind of my, my healing story. I fell in love with meditation through my PTSD diagnosis because I was told that that was something that could help me. And it was really not helpful for a long time. It was, it actually made things kind of quite a bit worse. And I think that is why people 
start and stop a lot with meditation. We start when we feel okay. And then as soon as things start to bubble up that feel sticky and icky, we say, you know what? I'm just gonna put this away and I'm gonna turn on Netflix instead because that's less icky to sit with. It's much more comfortable to sit and watch Bridgerton than it is to sit with my trauma of 20 years. Um, so that's what led me to meditation, which led me to all of kind of the inner work that I do now. And the coaching that I do now is really based on intimacy with self, nervous system regulation, inner peace. So that's kind of how, how all of this came to be. I do want people to know that that it's possible. Like it's yeah. not going to be an easy journey, no matter what happens to you. And I'm, I'm very much against this idea of like comparing traumas. I think every, mm -hmm. every traumatic event is awful. And I think that there is, there's always a step forward for you. There's always a next step you can take. There's always support available to you. So that is a big part of my message as well. Like you can make it through anything, even though I wish you didn't have to, <laughs> I wish that nobody ever had to go through, you know, those terrible, ter challenging things, but we do this life. It's kind of just the nature of what happens here on this planet earth, but yeah. we can always move forward. Was there a, an event that made you finally decide to figure out how to, how to move past this? Definitely. So I grew up in suburban New Jersey, which is, you know, a relatively quiet place. All of my siblings were much older. So I had a lot of quiet time, you know, growing up and I liked being alone. I was, I'm a little bit of an introvert. So I always felt like I had my space. And then I moved to New York city after college and I started working in the corporate world in a very sort of demanding, stressful, maybe a little bit toxic <laughs> environment. And I was just, I, my anxiety was through the roof. It was just one day I felt like I can't even function. I'm just barely getting through the day. I'm just hanging on by a thread and I have to do something about this because New York city as it is, is overwhelming the noises, the people. I'm also very sensitive to energies and sounds. Like, I think that's all just a product of having such a heightened nervous system my whole life that I felt very much like a shell of a human being living in New York, working in this job. And I realized that I was not going to do very well if this is the life that I continue to live. So that really was the turning point for me. You took a little detour. You said you were in the corporate world, but you went to Georgetown to study and got a bachelor's degree in foreign service. So tell us about that choice and why you wanted to do that and why eventually you didn't. Oh, another great question. Wow. You, you all just understand all my, all my juiciest questions. I did go to Georgetown. I was really in love with travel and places and people and the world. And so I wanted to study foreign service because I wanted to be a journalist. I thought that was going to be, I'm a huge fan of writing. I love communication. And so that felt like the thing that I wanted to do. And then I actually got an internship in a newsroom my senior year. And I was like, what am I thinking? This is the worst place for someone with a heightened nervous system <laughs> with a history of PTSD. It's like every day in here is another traumatic event. So that didn't work out, but I'm one of those people who I get to say, I really just loved everything that I learned in college. It was amazing and so much fun. So even though my degree doesn't apply to anything that I do now or really have ever done, except that we did have to learn an entire map of the entire world, countries, cities, rivers, lakes, currencies. So that feels like some, some interesting once in a while, I'll have a good Jeopardy moment. But other than that, <laughs> it's a little bit useless, but I had so much fun learning. And it, it showed me that 
and now I'm continuing my learning journey in a totally different direction, but it just let me be okay with just learning for the sake of loving the subject and loving the topic and not because I had to go on to, so I let myself just let go of the news dream. It was the worst possible thing. I also think it's interesting. It just proves that your brain wants what it knows. And I, because all I had known was like stress and that's what I was so programmed to thrive inside of that. That's, I just chose the most stressful thing I could even fathom. So I'm very glad that I did not choose to pursue that path. Cause I don't think it would have, I don't think I would have handled it, but I did get into the business world. I, my first job out of college was for a major retailer working in the buying office. And I had a really good time there and just life, you know, it's amazing. You just never know where you're going to end up. You just never know. You just can't predict it. So you make the best choice that's available to you at the time and say, when the next right choice is available, I guess I'll choose that. So you went on this personal journey of exploration. How did you decide to make that a business and to help others? It really started as just a passion as my passionista. It was just a hobby. I was really passionate about helping people who are in kind of similar situations or who were on some sort of healing journey, um, just supporting them through coaching or whatever it was. And I had, I start, started to kind of build this just side hustle air quotes um, because it was fun. And I had a pretty demanding job at a startup, a New York in the wellness space. And I really loved that. But there's also sometimes this moment when you're doing something that you love and you say, I think there's something that I would love even a little bit more than what I'm doing right now. And I think it's letting a big part of my journey has been letting myself follow those little nudges, even when things are good, definitely when things are bad, definitely I follow, I've learned to follow my nudges when things are bad, but even when things are pretty good, I'm like, I wonder if this could be even just a little bit better. So I started building my coaching business on the side. And then I realized, wait, I actually have this, I was working in strategy and operations the whole time I was in my other roles in my other career. And I realized that I also had that really, I had a lot of skills in that area too. I had a really strong brain for strategy and operations. And I thought maybe I could just combine these two things. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? So I didn't actually go full-time in my business until my mom got very sick in 2020. She's totally fine now, thank goodness. But I had to quit my job. I had to move in with her full-time and be her full-time caregiver for about six months. And after that, I was like, well, this is my opportunity to really take a chance on myself and see if I have the chops to do this full-time and create a full-time income and business off of this thing that previously has just been a little side dream. And I'm so glad that I took the chance. Talk a little bit about how you combine spirit, science, and strategy to give your clients a 360 degree approach to their healing and success. Hmm. So for me, the spiritual work is kind of the foundational work for everything. And I think about spirituality in a very grounded way. For me, it really just is, what is your relationship with yourself? Who are you when you know, your fancy job title gets taken away? Who are you when your Gucci bag gets stolen? Whatever it is, like who are you at the core essence of who you are underneath even your thoughts and your emotions, the ways that you identify in the world, the roles and responsibilities that you have, who, what are your values? How do you show up for yourself? How do you, what do you think of yourself? So that kind of spiritual element, I think is so important for anybody, I mean, anybody, but especially people who are on a path of entrepreneurship or who are stepping into some sort of leadership role, because life's going to knock you down and you're going to 
have not, hopefully not macro failures, but you're gonna have a lot of tiny little failures along the way. And if you don't know who you are and what you stand for, those little things that shouldn't be big things can turn into really big things. So that's kind of where the spiritual work comes in. The strategy piece, I find that when I'm coaching people, I find a lot of times that the things that they need help with, they think they need help with mindset. They think they need help with, you know, resilience. And really a lot of reasons, a lot of the time, the reason that they're coming up against so many experiences where they need to be resilient, where they need to really connect with themselves is because they're following a strategy that's not actually aligned for them. They saw it on Instagram, they bought it in a course and decided, this is my thing. That's, this is my ticket to everything I've ever wanted. And when you start with a strategy that's not actually quite right for you, you need a lot of coaching because it's really hard to get yourself aligned with something that is just not meant for you. So that's where the strategy piece comes in. I find that people need a lot less ongoing coaching and mindset work and resilience work and confidence work when the strategy that they're following is perfectly tailored to their strengths, their values, their goals. And I don't think that there's any strategy that doesn't work. I think absolutely any strategy can be successful for you as long as it's aligned for you. If it's not aligned, it could be the best strategy in the world. It's not going to work. So those are how those two things kind of go together. Alignment is a word I use a lot. You have to feel aligned. And alignment is something that you can actually feel. I'm sure you we've all had that experience of maybe showing up to a job that we know now wasn't aligned for us, but it's a physical feeling. Your body communicates with you when something's not in alignment. And when something is in alignment, it feels really good. And there's a lot less resistance and things come more easily to you. So it's my goal to get people on that path that maybe they don't even realize is possible for them. And then to support them in implementing and executing everything that goes along with that. Because of course there will still be little moments of resistance and fear is a big thing that comes up a lot. And Knowing that the path that I think people really need to follow is the one that is most aligned for them. There's still going to be challenges along the way. I fell in love with the brain. So studying about the brain to help myself heal from PTSD was so important. It was like, if I'm someone who, if you tell me to meditate, I'm going to say no, unless you tell me why on a mechanical level, how is this helping me on a biological, physiological level? How is this helping then now I'm, now I'm interested. I have a, I have a lot of Virgo in my chart. So I like need to understand things. Otherwise I can't, I have no interest. So I really got passionate about understanding the brain better. And I've taken a few courses now about the brain. Um, and I'm going to continue to study neuroscience because I'm just so fascinated by it. And I think it's a really important piece that a lot of people don't understand, but it's such a valuable to understand why your brain does what it does, why it gets emotionally triggered or activated when certain things happen and how you can coach yourself through those moments of big fear or big self-doubt, I think is just so valuable. So those are my, my three pillars that I'm obsessed with. And I think in order to really create whatever kind of success you want, whatever aligned success means for you, because it's gonna mean something different to every single one of us, being able to understand yourself on those levels and have a strategy that is totally aligned for you are just kind of non-negotiables. So that's why I cover those three pillars. 
Hey, passionistas, I'm Melanie Childers, the business coach for feminist entrepreneurs. And if you are ready to get off the hustle treadmill and create a sustainable six or seven figure business, head over to melaniechilders.com where I've got a free resource on how to have consensual sales conversations that feel amazing for you and your clients so you can hit the ground running. See you there. We're Amy and Nancy Harrington, and you're listening to the Passionistas Project podcast and our interview with Kelly Mosser. To learn how to work with her and join the Tiger's Eye community, visit kellymosser.com. We'd like to take a moment to invite you to the third annual Power of Passionistas Summit this September 21st through 23rd, 2022. The three-day virtual event is focused on authentic conversations about diversity, equity, and inclusion. This unique gathering of intersectional storytellers and panelists harnesses the power of our rich community of passionate thought leaders and activists to pose solutions to the problems plaguing women and non-binary people today. Early bird tickets are on sale now through August 21st for just $99 at thepassionistasproject.com. Be sure to register before this special discount rate ends. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Melanie Childers, Master Coach, Graceful Revolution, The Asa Collective, Tea Drops, Aaron's Coffee Corner, Flourishing Over 50, Espinola Real Estate Team, Mermaid's Garden, Sarah Finn's Coaching, Tara McCann Wellness, Aspira Public Affairs, and Triscom Public Relations. Now here's more of our interview with Kelly. Are there some tips that you have for people that are hearing this and want to kind of start on this journey? That, that are a foundation to get started? Absolutely. I think starting to become aware of how your body feels at different moments throughout your week, even throughout your day, so important. I find that the kind of key dynamic that I ask people to look for is, does this make me feel expansive and at ease? Or is there some sort of contraction going on here? And if you pay a close enough attention, your body is always giving you those cues. Even if you turn on the TV, and there's a show on that you don't like, there's some part of your body that probably feels constricted or cold or tense. So just start to pay attention to how your body's feeling moment to moment throughout your day. An exercise that I love to direct people to is to actually pull up your calendar from last week. So these are, now we're working with memories rather than real live, real time situations, which can be a little bit easier to tune into the body for. Go back to last week and go day by day review all of the things that were on your calendar, all of your appointments, fill in how you spent your time after work. what did you do in the morning? And go back and actually tune in and notice how your body feels thinking about the memory of that thing. And sometimes it's really helpful to go, oh, I'm thinking about this meeting that I had with this client and my body feels like I would not want to do this again. If I had to do it again in an hour, I wouldn't want to do it. There's a message there for you. And then, you know, that's your opportunity to do some journaling on it, dig into it, ask yourself, what about this didn't feel so aligned for me? And you'll start to learn about, oh, it's because I actually don't really love connecting with people one-on-one. I'd much rather connect in a group or this person, this particular challenge that we were working with. I feel very, I don't really feel confident in actually helping people with that kind of challenge. And it brings up a lot of stuff for me when I think about having to do that. I don't think we stop and think a lot about those small details to even just optimize what we already love doing. 
And sometimes, you know, people are in jobs that they really don't love doing and their whole week feels like a one giant contraction, one giant constriction. That's a great sign to, you know, start thinking about maybe making a change. And even for people who love what they do 99% of the time, what's feeling contracted that 1% of the time? Let's figure out what that is. Let's, you know, see if there's an opportunity for you to get to a place of even greater alignment, even more ease and fulfillment. So those are, that's just a really simple, practical exercise. And I'm a huge fan of just taking time to sit in silence with yourself every day. It doesn't have to be a fancy meditation. It doesn't have to be a guided meditation. You don't have to empty your mind of thoughts. You just have to sit with yourself with no distractions and see what comes up. And that's it. It can just be so simple because I think we are all moving so fast and things come up that we don't fully have the time sometimes to process or we don't give ourselves the time to process and then that just gets stored somewhere so if you can just give all those things the opportunity to come up and come out as often as you can it's not going to feel as uncomfortable after a little while it takes a little practice but the discomfort is good so we were introduced to you at a recent mobcon mini event from mob nation and you gave an amazing speech about the history of money and how it relates to your self-worth. And we just thought that that was such a great speech and really mind-opening. So could you just like give us a little mini condensed version of that and tell us just the basic philosophy behind what you were saying there? Absolutely. So I struggled a lot with this concept of money when I was starting my own business. I always felt like I was charging too much, even when I was charging $20 for a session, which that was the case at one point. It always felt like money was this very charged conversation. And I realized that it's because my self-worth was so deeply connected to my concept, my understanding of money. And so I decided to look into the history of money. I was like, why does this thing have such a hold over me? I'm sure it has a hold over other people too. I'm sure, you know, money is the driver of so many decisions that we make. And as I was researching, the history of money, it kind of hit me that money is a man-made invention. It's a human construct. Some guy decided, you know what? Oh, I think we need some sort of money system because the barter system is no longer working at scale. So we need some kind of money system. And for me to just realize that money is a man-made invention and it's not, I think sometimes we, especially if you are familiar with spiritual conversations about money or if you're in sort of tapped into the spiritual community on social media, there's a lot of conversation around money in a way that almost makes it sound like money is like love from the divine or money is confirmation that you are a good person or that you're doing something right, which is so different to, I know how a lot of older kind of religious dogma talks about money in the complete opposite way. So it's kind of like we're ping-ponging back and forth between money is either the worst thing in the world or it's the best thing in the world. And, but either way, it's directly tied to this, your morality, to who you are as a person. And that just wasn't working for me. So to be able to kind of step out of that conversation and realize that money is just a man-made construct that's moving through a man-made system and humans are imperfect. Humans are imperfect. How could I not be worthy of something that has no inherent value of its own? Money does not have in any inherent value. It's only valuable because as a collective maybe it's not green, is valuable. And therefore I'm going to put stock in it and work in exchange for it and buy things with it. But money, like the actual paper, 
has no inherent value. And we used to, humans used to trade seashells and cattle and tobacco as commodities, like an exchange of money. And I was just thinking to myself, would I feel this stressed out about money if it was cattle that we were talking about? No, I wouldn't. So why do I allow it to be such a stressful thing for me now? So kind of just stepping out of that deep enmeshment between my self-worth and money and just saying money is just a system. It's just a thing that exists made by humans, perpetuated by humans. It could not exist tomorrow, but we'd all still be here. How could my self-worth be wrapped up in something like that? And it allowed me to just have a much more kind of experimental relationship with money. It allowed me to really drain the emotion out of my experience, out of my relationship with money. And then I felt much more comfortable with it. I just, you know, I, I decided that my self-worth is constant, no matter how much money I make one month to the next, as entrepreneurs were like so focused on monthly revenue and it, it's so exhausting. And I just don't think that's how it needs to be. So if anyone is listening to this and they're in, I'd invite you to think about how emotional is your relationship to money? If it is an emotional thing for you, can you think of it more as just this man-made thing that was invented out of necessity? Your self-worth has nothing to do with it. If money stopped existing tomorrow, you would still be infinitely worthy because you're a human being. How could you not be worthy of something that has, again, no inherent value of its own? It's just green paper floating around. So hopefully that you know can help somebody who has an emotionally charged relationship with money to just, just experiment thinking about it that way and see if it works for you. If it doesn't, by all means, let it go. But it really helped me, especially as someone who's like, this is my job now to make my own money. I don't get a, a paycheck from an employer anymore. So yeah, it's it's been a really interesting reframe for me. So what advice would you have for a woman who, like you, was trying to figure out how to price their product or service and they just don't know how to do it? I think that people put a lot of stock into getting it right the first time. There's a lot of pride around I want to put something out there and I want it to sell the first time the way I want it to. And what I would recommend is just, you have to remember that the laws of supply and demand are real. And while your worth, your value as a human being is infinite, what you might be offering to someone is actually subject to the laws of supply and demand. So until you know what the demand for your good or service is, you don't really know how to price it. And I, someone just, someone said this to me once when I was agonizing over, I think it was a, like some kind of coaching package that I was offering. I was like, should it be this number or this number? And they were like, it's a hundred dollars different. How do you, you don't know. You just have to try one. And I was like, oh, I just have to try one and see if this is the price that resonates with the person that I want to work with who I can help. But I think we, we make it about us. We make our prices about us. And we say, we talk about knowing our worth. Your worth is infinite. There, it is not subject to laws of supply and demand. You're, there's no price you could put on anything that you do that would accurately encompass how worthy you are. But I think when we are enmeshed with our pricing and our self-worth and know your worth and what's my price, all of that becomes very murky and muddy. So my advice is, Find a price that seems to be appropriate. Make sure it feels good in your body when you're talking about it. It takes a little practice sometimes to get used to saying, this is what my price is, but just practice. It just takes practice and then bring it to the marketplace. Just the same way that any company like Coca-Cola brings a new product to the marketplace. They don't know how it's going to sell. 
you have to see, you have to experiment. A big, big, big thing that I stress with my clients is to have a mindset of experimentation. I always like to say, be the chief scientist, treat your business like a science experiment and not a soap opera. Because if you treat it like a soap opera, every little decision that you make is going to have an impact on your self-worth and it's going to bring you down. So how can you just be more of like an inventor, like a scientist who's just says, I'm going to try this. And I'm really curious to see what happens here. And that's all you can do. And if you know, you sell out, then maybe your price was too low. If you don't sell any, maybe your price is a little too high. Again, it has nothing to do with you. It has to do with how much, how well people know you, how well you're communicating the value of what you do. There's so many different layers that go into it that I just hate to see people get so caught up in pricing when I would love to, and I think it makes them slow down and take too much time and they think too much about it. And it leads to a lot of self-doubt where my advice is just get out there with a price and see what happens. And if it's not the right price, you can change it. That's the beauty of having your own business. <laughs> it's, it's, it really is so much more is within your control than you realize. So how can people work with you? A few different ways. So I do offer that kind of deep dive strategy consulting for people who are like, I, my business just feels like a mess and I just want it to feel easier and simpler. So I do offer that kind of strategy consulting service for service-based businesses. I do have someone on my team who is a retail expert. So she supports retail businesses and product-based businesses with their strategy. And then I also offer kind of ongoing support from a coaching perspective. So that's implementing your strategy. That's what to do when you come up against resistance. That's what to do when an unexpected curveball gets thrown your way. So there is kind of that, those two different pieces and lots of people do choose just one or the other. And a lot of people do choose both. I also have an amazing free membership that used to not be free. And it is just as of last month free. And I'm so happy to offer it for free called my Tiger's Eye community, which is like the ultimate one-stop shop for inner work. So it's guided meditations. It's amazing live and on-demand workshops led by experts, not just me, daily journal prompts. It's, it's just a really good place to start. If you're like, I'm curious about inner work, but it feels overwhelming and YouTube is so scary and I'm not going to spend time searching for things on there. And it's a totally free resource, no strings attached, free forever. Speaking of doing multiple things, what inspired you to start your podcast? I felt very, so I've been a big Instagram girl for the last four years or so. And I started to feel very like not so great on Instagram sometimes. Like I could, I only had people's attention for like five seconds and I couldn't fully express what I wanted to say. I'm verbose, as you can tell from this chat, I won't learn from this conversation. I don't shut up. And I felt like I had more to say and I wanted to provide a deeper level of value for people without them having to pay me anything because I feel like Instagram is just a little bit, I don't know, it's just like, it's like the, the bargain version. It's just a little bit cheap sometimes. You can only get so much across, but I think there's something so magical, magical about being with people when they're on their dog walks and like being with people when they're commuting to pick up their kids. Like that is so exciting to me. And I think that you can just create a better relationship with people and you can give them more. And so that was why I'm so excited about the podcast world. And I, I love it so far. It feels so fun. So describe your show for people. Sure. So my show is called the Aligned Success Show. And it is a show that helps entrepreneurs master the magical alchemy between spirituality, neuroscience, and strategy. 
So we talk about all those different things. Sometimes we talk about all three in one episode. Sometimes we go, this episode is really focused on the spiritual. This episode is really focused on the brain. This episode is really focused on strategy. And I've had a lot of people tell me that I'm not an entrepreneur, but I really like this podcast anyway. So the strategy piece is definitely more general. I would say that it applies to more people than just entrepreneurs. There's a lot of good value in there about just finding more alignment in your life, learning how to coach yourself through different kinds of challenges. So yeah, so it's definitely super valuable for entrepreneurs, but valuable for people who are not entrepreneurs as well. What's your dream for women? Oh my gosh. My dream for women is that we all wake up in a world that where we all get to live lives that we actually chose for ourselves. And we didn't choose them because our parents told us we had to, or because our partners think that we should, or that society told us that we needed to. That would be my dream to just live in a world filled full of women who really had chosen what their life looks like. Thanks for listening to the Passionistas Project podcast and our interview with Kelly Mosser. To learn how to work with her and join the Tiger's Eye community, visit kellymosser.com. Please visit thepassionistasproject.com to learn more about our podcast and subscription box filled with products made by women-owned businesses and female artisans to inspire you to follow your passions. Double your first box when you sign up for a one-year subscription. Remember to get your tickets to the third annual virtual Power of Passionistas Summit from September 21st through 23rd, 2022. Tickets are on sale now at thepassionistasproject.com. And subscribe to the Passionistas Project podcast so you don't miss any of our upcoming inspiring guests. Until next time, stay well and stay passionate.